Hey, this is Pastor Tommy, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Crossbridge Brickle Weekly Podcast. If you want to listen and follow along with our notes in the Bible app, just text the word hi to our text in number at 305-930-7006. This information is also provided for you in the description of this week's podcast. Included in this week's notes are prayer requests from last week's Connect Cards, as well as information about our upcoming Christmas outreach with Operation Christmas Child. Next week, to conclude our Judges series, we'll be having a special guest from Operation Christmas Child who was impacted by this ministry as a child and now is an advocate for children in her home country of Honduras and all over the world. Again, if you want the notes for this week, as well as this week's Spotify worship playlist, text the word HI to 305-930-7006. Thank you for tuning in and now now here is Pastor Carter with week 10 of our current teaching series in the book of Judges. God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time to gather as your people, as we have prayed, God, to you that you would hear the prayers of your people, and we know that you are faithful, God, that you listen, that you care, and so as we encounter your word through this man, Samson, Lord, we pray that we would sense your Holy Spirit with us confirming the reality of your faithfulness, and that you would humble us, that you would encourage us, that you would overwhelm us with your grace this evening, that it would change our pursuits and our passions for significance and satisfaction, and we would redirect them to you where we can find fullness and fellowship in your presence and with your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Judges this summer, and know many of you have been with us, and we are at the last two weeks of that. And so if you are just joining us or you've been following with us throughout the summer, do not dip and ride after tonight's sermon. I'm, Tommy, that was amazing. I'm going to use that all the time. Dip and ride. That's about the coolest thing I think I've ever heard Tommy say. 
and I'm going to steal it because it sounds awesome. Because next week is our last uh, sermon in the book of Judges, and we are going to be looking at one of the most haunting, horrific stories in the entire Bible. So get excited. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's absolutely horrible. And uh, that's the closing of the book. Because as we said, that the book of Judges gets darker in sin and deeper in the rebellion that God's people exhibit. And tonight is no different where we look at the most famous character in the entire book of Judges, Samson. How many of you have heard of Samson before? Raise your hand. If you have not, just raise your hand. (laughs) Samson is a very prominent figure in the Old Testament. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you've heard about him, uh, strong, long hair, and he is regarded in many ways as a hero. And we read the end of his life here as Toby read us the text. And if you've ever looked at a children's Bible, it's like, oh, Samson, you know, he's really strong and he's always like good looking with long hair, kind of like a Fabio type of figure. (laughs) And the reality is, is Samson is nothing like the way that he's portrayed. Nothing at all. In fact, Samson is the worst judge in the entire book of Judges, and we've seen some bad ones. He's the worst. So who is he? Samson is violent, sexually addictive, impulsive, arrogant, selfish. I mean, we could, the list could go on. He's a horrible human being. It's just who he is. But he's the son of a promise. You see, as we saw last week, God comes to his parents and gives them this promise that they're going to have a son and his name will be Samson. Actually, his father names him that after a pagan god. But God comes to his parents and says, listen, God's people, my people have been oppressed for 40 years by the Philistines, and I'm going to give you a son. His mother was barren before that, and he is going to be the one who will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. He will be the last judge, and he is to be a Nazarite. So that means he is to not cut his hair. He cannot drink alcohol. He cannot touch any dead bodies. That is because Nazarites would take these specific vows to intensely focus their life on God, to seek God for guidance and clarity, asking God to use them in a great way in a time of crisis. So Samson is the son of promise. He's going to be a Nazarite. And we pick up the story in his life where he meets this woman and he wants to get married. And we don't know the woman's name, but what we know is that she's a Philistine. Now, this throws you off right away because if you've been reading through the story, you know that the God, God's people have been oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years. And now Samson, the judge who's going to deliver God's people from the Philistines, wants to marry a Philistine. Everything's off. So that's what we see in this story is that everything is unraveling in the story. The repeated cycle that we have seen time and time again throughout Judges is finally broken. It's almost nauseating how often this cycle repeats. If you've been with us, you know God's people are in a place of peace and stability as they're worshiping God and they're trusting God and they're seeking God for guidance in their life. And then they inevitably turn away from God, worship idols, and they become oppressed by the very nations that they look to for spiritual guidance. 
And in their oppression over a period of time, they cry out to God and they ask God for rescue and deliverance and God is faithful to his people and he brings about a judge who will lead God's people back to peace and stability and freedom from their oppression. But now, the cycle's been broken. You see, God's people have been oppressed for 40 years. Samson is the last judge who will deliver them But no one has cried out to God for rescue. Not one person has returned to God, has repented and said, you know what, we've made a mess of things. We should not have listened to the Philistines and all of the things that they promoted to us. We should not have worshipped these false gods. God, come rescue us. No one has cried out to God. There is this sentiment among God's people that, listen, we don't really need to return back to God. Why don't we just kind of mix all the cultures together? Why don't we take from the Philistines what we like from the Philistines? We'll keep some of our identity and some of our faith in God, and we'll have multiple gods, and we'll kind of just mix everything together. Whatever our heart likes, whatever we feel is good to us, we'll pull all of that in. This is where they're at, and this is where Samson is at. You see, Samson really is a a marker or a symbol of God's people and their spiritual state. When you look at Samson, you can see where all of God's people are at. And so Samson, knowing he's the son of a promise who is going to deliver God's people from the Philistines, says, I don't really care about that. I like this woman. She's a Philistine, and I want to marry her. And so he goes down to the village or the city that she's from called Timnah, and he travels down there, and on the way to Timnah, he stops in a vineyard. Now, we don't know if he drank alcohol, one of the things he vowed not to do, but he stops in the vineyard. I imagine he had a little wine, you know, had some nice wine there. But as he's there breaking his Nazarite vow, drinking wine, a lion comes, a young lion, which is still terrifying. Whether it's young or old, completely terrifying. And this lion comes to attack Samson. But Samson is all about those gains. And so he takes the lion down. He rips the lion apart with his bare hands. He's the original, do you lift bro? Like he's the original of that. Rips the lion apart, probably feeling like really feeling himself in that moment, and heads into the town of Timnah where his bride is. He marries this woman who is a Philistine, and they have a seven-day wedding festival. For those of you that married, you thought your wedding was great. This is seven days long, okay? An entire week of family and friends and parties. And Samson's hanging out and they're drinking, they're having a good time and they're partying. And he goes back to the vineyard, probably to drink in secret, you know, because no, he doesn't want anyone to know he's breaking the Nazarite vow. He's in the vineyard and the lion is there, dead, obviously. And there are some bees that have decided to create a honeycomb inside the lion's carcass. And Samson reaches in and takes the honey because that looks good. He wants it. It Sounds like it's going to taste good. He thinks it's a good decision. He takes it and he eats it, symbolizing that he has completely broken his vows as a Nazarite. He's touched a dead body now. He's most likely drinking wine in the vineyard, probably at the party too. He's a son of a promise who is to be a Nazarite and does not care. He has forsaken his identity. He has turned away from God and he's just living how he feels. He goes back to the party And he's there, he's spending time in the city and for this whole celebration for seven days. And he says, you know what's going to make this more fun is I'm going to share a riddle. Samson likes riddles, if you didn't know. He shares this riddle to everybody at the party. And he says, listen, 
if anyone can get this riddle correct, I'm going to give them a great reward, a great fortune. So everyone's excited. And everyone's in the corner. They're writing down, like, I don't know. I don't think that's right. They're, they're asking him. No one can get the riddle correct. So they go to his bride, his brand new wife, and they begin to pressure her. Listen, you have to find out the answer to this riddle. We want the money. We need the answer. And they say to his wife, if you do not get us the answer before this festival is over, we're going to burn your family alive. So what does she do? Samson, hey, babe, you need to tell me the answer to the riddle. I don't know. I mean, you got to tell me we're married now. You know, like we're supposed to share everything. And Samson's like, that's not how riddles work. You got to figure it out. You and everybody else, you know. And he's like, she's like, no, 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 no. You need to tell me the answer to the riddle. It says that she actually cries and is depressed throughout the entire week. Like this is not how either one of them imagined their wedding. She's crying and depressed. He shares a riddle. She wants the answer. That's not how riddles work. He's eating honey out of a lion's carcass. Things are bananas, okay? At the end of the the wedding week, Samson finally relents. He's like, fine, 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 fine. I'll tell you the answer to the riddle. Shares the answer. She goes and tells those men who then give the answer and receive the reward. But Samson finds out what happened, that she tricked him and pressured. And so he then, in full rampage mode, kills 30 men. He's just vindictive. He kills them all. He takes the money back, and then he gives the money to the people that told him the riddle in the first place. Like, here, the riddle was great, but things got out of control. And then, if you thought things were dysfunctional, he looks at his brand new wife of seven days and says, I'm going to leave and go back to my dad's house. You stay here with my best man. This, I'm telling you, this is out of control. He leaves his wife of seven days with his best man and goes home to his dad's house. And then after a period of time, he says, okay, time to go back to my wife. So he comes back to his wife and he can't find her because she's with his best man. And obviously they've started to like each other now. And Samson's father-in-law says, listen, um, it's not going to work out. I can't give you her back, but I have actually a younger and prettier daughter and you can have her. All types of dysfunction. <laughs> Samson's like, no, 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 no. I want my bride that I only enjoyed and spent time with for seven days. I want her. And he's like, no, it's not going to work out. The best man, the whole thing. It's just, I got another daughter. That's what we have to do. Samson again is angered. And so that night he gets 300 foxes. Don't know where he got them. There's a fox man in town. He gets all the, he says, give me all the foxes. He takes them and then he puts them, ties their tails together, all of them. And then he lights all their tails on fire and scatters them. So the fox has a tail on fire and he scatters them in the field so that they burn down all the vineyards and all the fields. As the foxes are running because they're on fire and they're catching everything else on fire. The people of the town are obviously angry because now their entire economy has been destroyed by 300 foxes on fire. And they know that this is Samson who's done this. And so they say, listen, how did this happen? Who provoked him? They find out that it was Samson's father-in-law who offered the younger, prettier daughter and was not willing to kind of intercede to get Samson's wife back. So they take Samson's father-in-law and his new bride and burn them alive. And then Samson slaughters everyone. 
See a repeated theme here with Samson? He slaughters everyone, and then he realizes, I've probably made a mess of things. I've killed 30 Philistines, went home to dad's house, came back, lit the foxes on fire, burned the fields. Now I've slaughtered a village. I need to go retreat because the Philistine leaders are going to be looking for me to pay for my crimes. So he goes to Judah, and he camps out there. Judah is one of the tribes of Israel, and he thinks he's safe there because he's around his people. And then the Philistines get an army, come looking for Samson. And they hear that he's in Judah, and so they go to Judah, and they begin to talk to the rulers of Judah and say, Samson's here somewhere. You need to hand him over to us. You need to find him and give him to us. Here's what he's done. Now, Judah has no idea that Samson is the son of a promise. They have no idea that he's going to be the judge to deliver them. So they probably hear what he's done, and they're like, yeah, we're going to hand him over. This guy is a loose cannon. Someone's going to take care of him. I mean, 300 foxes, you know, and killing a whole village. So they find him, they bind him, and they bring him to the Philistine army and, and its leaders. And as he's bound and he's being taken to the army, because he's about that gym life, he breaks out of the bonds There's a donkey that's dead. He doesn't care. He grabs the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand people. Guys, are you with me? Kills a thousand people. Covered in blood, exhausted, everyone's dead. He prays to God for the first time, and he's completely clueless. You see, at the very beginning of Samson's life, we know that he's the son of a promise who's to be a Nazarite, and we're told that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. You see, God is going to use Samson even though Samson wants nothing to do with God. God is going to be faithful to Samson even though Samson is completely unfaithful. God has provided Samson strength and protection even as he is making really poor decisions. And so he prays to God, and here's what he prays. God, are you going to do something? Like, are you going to help me? In any way, like a little water would be nice after I've just slaughtered a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. God is patient with Samson and he provides water through the cleft of a rock around him and Samson drinks and he's revived and then it says that he judges Israel for 20 years. Things have stapled out. You're like, okay, that was wild. But I guess the jawbone and the thousand people killing them, that was the way that God used Samson to deliver God's people from the Philistines. That's a nice story. Crazy, but nice. The problem is this. Samson judges Israel for 20 years, but he never delivers them from the Philistines. It says that he judged them in in the time of the Philistines, meaning he has no intention of delivering God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. Samson's mindset is, let's just kind of work this out. Like, I like some of your culture. You could take some of ours. Yes, we have very different beliefs about God. We have very different practices of worship. You're into human sacrifice. That's not okay with most of God's people because God says that's an abomination and evil. But like, let's just kind of figure out how to work it all out. Let's do it together. And so he judges and leads Israel and assumes this position of authority, but does not deliver God's people. After 20 years, we read that Samson goes to Gaza. It's another town. And when he arrives in Gaza, he finds a prostitute and he sleeps with her. And as 
the night is taking place. There are men there that hear that Samson has arrived and he's with a prostitute. And so they set up an ambush to kill him because they have not forgotten who Samson is and what he's done. They try to kill him, but he escapes. And when he escapes in this town, he stumbles upon a woman that will alter his life forever. Her name is Delilah. He meets Delilah and he is in love. He's infatuated and he begins to spend time with her. I think, I imagine he walked up to her and he goes, hey there, Delilah. <laughs> but um, you got that? I actually just thought of that right now. He goes to Delilah and they begin to spend time together. They have this relationship, it's kind of known. See, they've been trying to kill Samson for years and years and years, and the Philistines have been unsuccessful. But they see that there's something different with Samson and Delilah. Here's their chance. So they go to Delilah, and they say, listen, we will give you so much money you could never imagine. We're going to give you great fortune and fame if you can figure out where Samson's source of strength comes from and how to subdue him. If you can find out the source of his strength and how to subdue him, we will make you wealthy beyond your imagination and you will be famous among the Philistines because Delilah is herself a Philistine. And so she sees this as her opportunity. Okay, I could become a celebrity. I can make all the money I've ever wanted. Me and Samson are just beginning. There's not really any love here. Like, I can use this as an opportunity for myself. And so that night they get together again, and Delilah says to Samson, Hey, um, babe, where's the source of your strength, and how can I subdue you? It's like, Delilah, you got to have some tact. Like, she just comes right out of the gate. Hey, Where's the source of your strength and how can I subdue you? And Samson's like, okay, we're going to play this game. All right, we're going to play this game. Get seven damp bowstrings before you put them on like a violin or a cello string and just wrap them around me. I know it's real weird, seven damp bowstrings, but that's the deal. Seven damp bowstrings, you wrap me up, I can't get out. He goes to sleep that night and Delilah gets seven damp bowstrings and ties up Samson, who is a heavy sleeper, obviously, ties him up, and as he's sleeping, she says, the Philistines are coming, and he jolts awake and breaks out of the damp bowstrings, and now, obviously, it's very apparent what's happened, right? Samson sees, wait, she just tied me up. Like, she was asking me where the source of my strength is and how to subdue me, and I told her seven damp bowstrings, and she went and got them. While I was sleeping and tied me up, she's looking to betray me. Relationship over, right? That's like red flag 101, run, get out. And Samson says, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, like, you know, like, it's okay. You know, let's, let's, let's hang out tomorrow night. So tomorrow night comes, and she, does, she asks another question. Again, the same question. He says, try some new ropes. So she does. He breaks out again. A third time. Breaks, like, what is wrong with Samson, right? <laughs> Three times? 
Is he in denial? Is he just like totally masked by her seduction? Like what is going on? Why would Samson stay with her? It's unbelievable, right? But remember who Samson is. He's not a man driven by any type of conviction or any type of truth. He's a man driven by his passions. He's a man driven by pleasure. He's looking to seek pleasure through the thrill of danger, through sex, through whatever his heart wants in the moment, and so he's willing to overlook a lot because he believes himself to be invincible. So much of what he's done in his life has been about seeking to find satisfaction and significance through following the passions and pleasures of his heart, whether that's through sex or through the thrill of danger and violence. And so he overlooks and stays with Delilah, and then she plays this card after the third time. For her, it's not third time a charm, it's four times a charm. At the fourth time, she says to Samson, listen, babe, you cannot say to me that you love me and not tell me the source of your strength. Don't play that game like we love each other. Don't say that. If you don't tell me everything, you're keeping a secret from me. There's no way this relationship can advance. If you love me, you will tell me. Samson's like, okay, fine. You have to shave my head. He tells her. She plays his card. He's maybe fearful of disappointing her. He's enjoying this relationship. And he tells her, if you shave my head, then my strength will be gone. And you think to yourself, why would he do this? Why would he, one, stay with Delilah after the bowstring episode, but then still three more times and ultimately share with her this secret to his strength in the cutting of his head when it's very apparent that Delilah is using him? I mean, it's, it's very apparent that Delilah is not motivated by love. She's motivated by utility. But see, Samson's motivated by utility too. We can sit there and think, well, maybe Samson really loves Delilah. Maybe Delilah is the woman that is going to pull him out of this life that he's been living where he's just been using women and he's just been kind of following all the passions and pleasures of his heart, but he really loves Delilah and so he's willing to overlook the betrayal and the deception and he really wants to make it work, but it's not true. You see, what we read is that Delilah, her tactic to reinforce this relationship and to find the answer to the source of his strength is that she uses seduction. What is motivating Samson is not love, but utility. See, he's using Delilah too. Delilah is using him to get famous and wealthy, and Samson's using Delilah for sex and the thrill of danger. They're both using each other because Samson is living a life of seeking satisfaction and significance through pleasure and passion. As I said, he's a window into the soul of God's people during this time, but he's also a window into our culture's soul. Is he not? Do we not hear the same thing? 
Do we not hear the same sermon preached from our culture, which is if you want to be significant, and if you want to feel significant, and if you want to be satisfied, you need to follow your heart's passions, and you need to follow the pleasures that you desire. Do not forsake any pleasure that you see good for you. Do not forsake any passion that your heart is pulling you to. Follow your heart and your intuition. It knows what's best for you, so run after it. That's the message of our culture, is it not? That's the message we all hear all the time. And this is how Samson lived. He lived a life believing that. He's not going to quench any passion. He's not going to quench any pleasure. He's going to do what he feels in the moment. But what it got Samson was loneliness and emptiness. You see, when you see Samson's life, he's constantly alone. He's alone. He's going from woman to woman, from place to place, looking for satisfaction and significance through relationships and sex and seduction. And it's obvious that there's an emptiness in him because he's willing to overlook this deception, this betrayal from this woman who obviously doesn't love him either. But Samson is so deep in his loneliness and he's so deep in his emptiness that he is okay with quick fixes that make him feel good for a night. What's interesting is that Delilah's name means at night. Her name means at night, which is emblematic of this whole story, which is that both Samson and Delilah are looking for significance and satisfaction at night. And quick fixes, quick fixes and pleasure and passion that feels good for a moment to mask the loneliness, to mask the emptiness, but it doesn't fix it. It just feels good until the next day, and then you have to restart it. Samson's like, I'm okay with the deception and the lying and the betrayal because I enjoy you at night. And in the morning, I want to enjoy you the next night. This is how he lives and what he looks for to feel significant and satisfied. Albert Camus is a French philosopher. He has this quote. It's challenging. He says, because I longed for eternal life, I went to bed with harlots and drank for nights on end. I slept in bliss, but awoke with a bitter taste of the mortal state. Albert Camus was a man who was confused about who God was, and he was, you know, the founder of absurdism. And he begins to live his life in such a way and and rightly understands his heart. There's a sense of loneliness and emptiness there that he fills with sex and drinking. And when he goes to bed, he feels as if he's made the right decision and it feels good, and it feels right, but then he wakes up in the morning, and he realizes the emptiness and the loneliness isn't gone. I just covered it for a bit. With pleasure and passion, I covered it for a bit, but it's still there. Is that not our culture's soul? Is that not the message that we hear and the reality of what we live in? Many of us feel this. 
Many of you are struggling with this. You're looking for significance in your life. You're looking to feel significant and to be significant. You want satisfaction like every other human being desires satisfaction, and you're chasing after things at night. You think that you're going to find it through quick fixes that make you feel good for a moment, through pleasure that feels good for a moment, but then you wake up the next day or the next week and you feel just as empty and just as lonely. There's a, a, a YouGov uh, poll that came out recently that Debbie Peterson shared with me. And uh, it said that millennials, of all the millennials surveyed, 20% of millennials claim to not have a single friend. 20%. Not one friend. Lonely. Empty. In fact, only 18% of millennials have more than five friends. 18% more than five. One in five, zero. Why? Why is this the state of our culture? Many of us feel that loneliness. We may have people that we spend time with, but still feel lonely. You can be surrounded by a lot of people and still feel lonely. You can have a lot of people that text you and call you, and you can be in 25 WhatsApp groups and still feel lonely (laughs) and empty. And we struggle with that as a culture. Why? Because we are chasing things at night to fill us. We're looking for quick fixes to fill the void that we fill in our heart. We feel lonely, we feel empty, and so we try these different pleasures, we try different passions, and it feels good for a moment, but then we wake up the next day or the next week, and we're like, it didn't work. Maybe if I try again. Samson tried three, four times. After the fourth fourth time, he realizes he made an error. This is the reality of our culture, is that we pursue satisfaction and significance at night. But see, the promise of Scripture is that there actually is a way to find satisfaction and significance, to feel full and to find fellowship and relationship, for that emptiness and loneliness to be taken away. There's a passage in 1 John that I love. I want to read to you. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says this. This is the message that we heard from him, that is Jesus, and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness. There's no night at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, which is God, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, the good news of the gospel is that through Christ and through his sacrifice and the shedding of his blood, you can have fellowship with God and you can have fellowship with God's people. You can have more than five friends, real friends, and you can find fullness, satisfaction in your relationship with God, which can fully satisfy you, and also fullness in your relationships that aren't based on superficial things, but are based on real things. It's the good news of the gospel. But some of us hear that and we think, I don't know, I I feel like maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe I'm too much like Samson. 
You know, like, I, I've really chased after the night. I'm still chasing after the night. I, I kind of feel like Samson where I know who God is and, and his nature and some of God's truth, and I'm kind of torn between culture and God's word and who God is, and I'm mixing them all together, but I'm really following my heart and its pleasures and its passions, and I'm feeling empty and lonely, and I just feel like there's no way God could use me. You see, we put God in this box, right? We think to ourselves, no way God can use someone like Samson or someone like me. I've messed things up too much. But you can't limit God. You can't put him in a box. God certainly can't be limited by something he created. See, he created us. How can he be limited by us, by our mind? God is faithful and he is patient and he works in and through us and despite our failures and even uses our failures as the foundation for his success. He will use your failures as the foundation for his success because he does the same thing with Samson. Samson has been running from God his entire life and chasing after the night. And he finally faces the consequences of his sin and his rebellion as he tells Delilah that you need, she needs to shave his head. And so she does. She shaves his head. And she binds him. She wakes him up. And he cannot get out. And the Philistine leaders come in and they grab him and they take him and they humiliate him and they torture him. And then they say, listen, we want to entertain this huge party of thousands of people where all the Philistine leaders are gathered and we want to take Samson. We want to string him up in between two pillars so we can look at him and laugh at him. He's going to be the sign and the symbol of our cleverness and of our strength as the Philistine nation. And so they take him and they string him up and he is there strung up between these two poles. And we read this in verse 28. Samson called to the Lord. He's prayed now the second time. He says, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Even his prayer is vindictive. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them and his right hand on the one and his left on the other and Samson said let me die with the Philistines and then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords upon all the people who were in it so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life even his prayer at the end of his life is one of vengeance He still hasn't even prayed, God, use me to deliver your people. I remember your promise, but yet God still uses him. He's still faithful to his promise to Samson, and he strengthens him. Even though his prayer is often, he's clueless in so many ways, and he gives him strength. So as he pulls the pillar down, the roof collapses on everybody there, and Samson dies as well. And this is actually the way that God's people are rescued, because everyone inside of that party were all the rulers and leaders of the Philistine nation. So God's people are granted freedom from their oppression as Samson sacrificed himself in that party by pulling those pillars down. You see, Samson is a really, really, really flawed savior, but he foreshadows a perfect savior. You see, Jesus Christ is the way better Samson. As we said last week, he was born miraculously just as Samson was. 
But Jesus Christ was not fueled by following the passions and the pleasures that culture promotes. Instead, even on the night when Jesus was going to be betrayed, the day before that he, he was crucified, he prays to God the Father and he says, not my will, but yours. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to follow your will and your guidance in my life. And Jesus is betrayed by someone he loves. Judas, who betrays him for what? Money. Just as Delilah did. And Jesus is then imprisoned and captured and he's humiliated and stripped and mocked and tortured. And then he's strung up too as a sign and a symbol of the Pharisees' cleverness and strength over Jesus. And Satan himself probably saw Jesus strung up on the cross as a sign of his cleverness and strength as he strung up, not between two pillars, but similar to Satan, similar to Samson, on a cross. It says that Jesus bows his head, but when he bows his head, he doesn't pull down judgment on everyone. He says, it is finished. He paid the ultimate sacrifice as he bowed his head on that cross so he could invite you into relationship with him to find fullness and fellowship with God and fullness and fellowship with his people. So you don't have to chase after the night to fill the loneliness and the emptiness within you. You can find it through Christ. You see, what we see in the life of Samson is two things. One, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus for fullness and fellowship. To fill the emptiness and the loneliness is only going to be found in him. You're not going to find significance and satisfaction through chasing the night. You'll find it in Christ. And learn from Samson. Learn from Samson's mistakes of thinking that just following his heart's pleasures and passions will give him a life of significance and satisfaction. It won't. It will only add to the loneliness and emptiness. Learn from his example. Learn from his example that prayer should be the first response, not a last resort. Because you have opportunity and openness to your relationship with God through Christ to find fellowship and fullness with him through prayer. You see, we may be people that chase after the night, and we struggle with believing culture in God's word. But what we see in the life of Samson is God is faithful, and he is patient with us, and he is always inviting us back to himself to find fullness and fellowship with him through faith and through prayer and with his people as we're gathered as his family. So you may think to yourself, I don't know. I don't know if God would want me and he would invite me in if God could use me. Don't ever think that. God can use Samson. He can use you. And he will use the failures of your life as a foundation for his success. And you hear that. You're like, wait, wait. Use my failures as a foundation for his success. What about my success? Well, God gives you a promise. And he says this. I'm working all things in your life for your good. You see, the failures of your life that he's going to use as a foundation for his success in your life are actually for your good. So don't chase the night to fill the emptiness and loneliness within you. Go to Jesus and learn from Samson. Will you pray with me? God, we confess to you that we listen to the sermons of culture more than we listen to your word, that we can convince ourselves that our heart is right and good, even when it leads us 
astray. We are prone to seduction. So Lord, I pray tonight that you would make aware to each of us those things that we're chasing to fill the emptiness inside, to make us feel less lonely, to give us significance and satisfaction, would you make those aware to us so that we can return to you and find fullness and fellowship with you and with your people? Would your grace cover us? Would we never think that we're too far gone? Would we never think that you can't use us? God, you are faithful and you are patient with us and you are gracious. You love us through your son Christ. So we live and respond this week with joy as we know that you are using all things in our life, even our failures, as the foundation for your success, which is our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.